What's going on out there, everybody? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the latest installation of the Man Cave Huddle. Thank you for taking the time out of your schedule so we can sit here and just chop it up about a couple things. Um, I wanted to get into some comments that LeBron James made over the All-Star Weekend and how the All-Star Weekend went for the NBA. I want to talk about an incident that went, I don't want to say into an all-out brawl, but just a lot of pushing and shoving in college basketball over the weekend. And the question that was posed to me by um, someone very, very special to me, and I just wanted to answer that question. So um, starting off first, let's start off with college basketball. So Michigan was playing Wisconsin, and this is Michigan at Wisconsin. Now, personally, myself, I did not watch the entirety of this game. I had an event that I had to attend, but I managed to watch right before half. And then as soon as the halftime had uh, ended and the second half started, I said, you know what? Let me check into this game. Let me see what's going on with it, right? So I check in. I'm looking at the score. And it was like a couple minutes into the second half. And Michigan had went out on a quick 5-0-3 and a nice little fast break dunk. And it was 38-35. Um, no, 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 no. It was 38 um it, it, it was 38-32, uh, right? And I left. I said, okay, they look, Michigan looked like they're in control of this, and I had to leave, and I didn't pay attention to it. I get an alert on my phone, and I saw the video. In the end, I'm not going to say the score because it's pretty ugly for Michigan, but it was 70-something to 40-something. Like I said, they scored 38 points a couple minutes into the second half. It was seven. You know what? I, I I like to give you guys the exact mundo information. So um, let's let let's be as accurate as we can. Um, no, I, I I'm mistaken. I'm mistaken, and this is why I like to be exact. Keep it 100 with you guys. Um, it was tied at half, 31 up. Michigan jumped out. And it was 38-31, and I had to leave. Michigan looked like they had some adjustments and were in rhythm. The end of the game wound up being 77-63 to Wisconsin wins. Now, that's, that, that, that's not neither here nor there. Um, what really happened was it was a 15-point lead, and it was 15 seconds left in the game. And... Michigan were they were they 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 were extending their defense full court and the Wisconsin Badger coach called a timeout because at that point in the game you're up 15 you got all your backups in and obviously the backups aren't coached up or as adept to adjust to a full court press the way the starters would so the coach called a timeout what does that do that resets the, the the inbound clock to 10 seconds so you have a little bit of time. The coach can actually draw up a play to get the ball across the court, the half court. Jawan Howard, the head coach of Michigan, former Fab Five player, did not like that. Why are you calling a timeout when the game is already the game is already won? So you guys could Google this. Jawan Howard, Wisconsin 
brawl is the way it's labeled, but I don't think it was a brawl, it was just a pushing match. But, um, you know, the head coach of Wisconsin walks by uh, Juwan. He kind of grabs his arm like, look, this is why I did it. Not in an aggressive way, but Juwan didn't want to have anything to do with the head coach. And the head coach said, no, 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 hold on. Let me tell you why I did what I did. And Juwan put his finger in his face on that. Yo, don't touch my body. Don't touch my body right now. You did what you did. I remember this, but don't touch my body right now. And for all of us that have seen fights escalate, all of us that have been in situations where you don't want people touching your body, I don't care if it's a finger just poking your arm gently. When somebody says, and you're a grown-ass adult, and somebody says, don't touch my body, don't touch their body. Because you know by touching their body, you're triggering them. And then by triggering them, you get what you get. Now, what happens after now, Juwan Howard, he's already pissed off. He got his butt kicked. He's upset the way the game ended. You're touching his body. Now, what does he do? He starts yelling at the coach. Now, all the players get involved. Yo, why are you yelling at the coach? Now, some pushing and shoving, shoving ensues between the um, players and assistant coaches. Security gets involved. And I don't know what this one assistant coach on Wisconsin said, but... Jawan Howard, excuse my language, just cocked back and gave him an open-handed bitch slap right across the head. It wasn't one of those, like, in the face. It was like one of those, he wanted to palm his head and just pick him up off the ground type of slaps. You feel me? And uh, from that point, more pushing the seven ensued, more, um, you know, I hate to say, not a lot, but just a couple punches here and there thrown by the players. And at this point, you are hoping that Jawan didn't get fired. It was just a suspension because personally, myself, I've seen things get tense after a game between rivals where coaches might say something, curse at each other. Maybe it might be face to face, but I've never seen a um, we going to fight and I'm like ready to go right now. So. It came down that Jawan Howard has been suspended for five games, which in reality is the rest of the regular season, which was good. I know that the, the, a lot of people were saying, um, why did he get so upset because the coach touched his body? And people are saying, why was he upset when he's full court pressing towards the end of the game? Why did the Wisconsin coach call a timeout? We could have an episode just on unwritten rules on what and what not to do. Uh, there are a lot of unwritten rules, but I think most of those apply to players getting hurt and taking cheap shots and being dirty when you're playing sports. When it comes to the score and the outcome, when you have backups and freshmen and guys that never play, they're not in there thinking, let's dribble the ball. They might be thinking, this might be the only time I'm going to score all season. Yes, I'm going to start jacking up threes. And if you're Michigan, look, it was over. Everybody knew it. Just don't full court press and let the clock wind down as fast as possible. It didn't work out that way. Okay. And then you get the little situation. But anyway, let's move along to um, NBA All-Star Weekend. Um, I don't know what they need to do with Saturday night, but Saturday night in the NBA, they'll never move it. 
because there's money to be made. But that Saturday night situation that they have going on, it's almost like, why don't they just move that to Sunday and have Sunday be like a Super Bowl Sunday where you have like... The the, the 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 rising the, the rising stars challenge the rookies in the sophomore game um the 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 skills competition the three-point contest the dunk contest and then at eight o'clock you have the game because every year do people watch it yes but they feel like they watch it because they want to see something they never ever seen and every year people just come out feeling oh god or it's just like a waste of a night you know, and the like the last really good dunk contest was when Zach Levine won it. When he they were doing dunks that you've never seen, and I think what the problem is with the dunk contest is that there's no dunk out there that we haven't seen, or if there are, they just need to find more either more creative dunks or. They, in terms of the committee, needs to say, look, two dunks and that round, you get a zero or a scratch. Because there be guys out there trying to dunk for like five minutes, and it's like, bruh, the same dunk ain't working, man. Just straight up go with something simple. Because I think guys come out and they want to flash a splash with the first dunk. And it's like, look, just make it to the finals and then have that be your flash a splash dunk. But I'm not in the NBA I can't dunk, so I, who am I to tell them what to do? It's just for me as a, a a fan, Saturday night is so underperforming as a whole entertainment-wise. And then Sunday when you have the All-Star game and halftime performances and all this, that seems to be the main event. Why not just put it all together? But I get there's money to be made on Saturday night, money to be made on Sunday night. NBA has the weekend on lock. You can't take that money away. So it's not going to change. But some news coming out of that weekend was that LeBron James said that the last year he wants to play with his son, uh, LeBron James Jr. He wants to be a teammate with uh, LeBron James Jr. And this is how calculated and how you we need to start playing chess and stop playing checkers. The contract that he currently has right now expires with the current collective bargaining agreement that the NBA players and the league have installed together, meaning that when that when that contract expires, LeBron James's son would be eligible to come right out of high school to the NBA if and if that is what is agreed upon in that deal now if that doesn't happen then maybe lebron signs and figures out what he wants to do but for me um saying that as a father having sons you only want the best for your child and having one of the greatest players of all time being able to be competitive enough to play at a high level and for you to tutor your child in real time is something special i know ken griffey jr and ken griffey senior were probably in baseball um were probably the last father and son duo to do that at like a high level but for me um 
you know, Ken Griffey Jr. was like a stud coming out of high school, and Ken Griffey Sr. was kind of like at the, he was coming down at that point in his career, and Ken Griffey Jr. was like the LeBron James coming out. Where when you look at LeBron James Jr., a.k.a. they call him Bronny James. Um, now, I'm not saying this to knock the kid at all. So I don't want it to be like, yo, Greg, why are you ripping this kid? So on and so forth. I'm not. I'm just putting the facts out there. I think LeBron James, Bronny James is a good enough player where he will get drafted. His daddy's LeBron James. He will get drafted. It's all about where he's going to get drafted. Now, was this strategic by LeBron James, the dad, in terms of what if Bronny James is a second-round player, but a team reaches and drafts Bronny in the first round knowing that they're going to get LeBron? Or what if Bronny James is a, a, a late pick, not a lottery pick type of player, but a team wants to make a reach because they may not be good, but having LeBron James Jr., LeBron James Sr., and all the cachet that comes with that, maybe they feel like for one year at least we could cash in on a big year. LeBron James final tour with whomever the team would be. Wouldn't it be ironic if it's the Cavaliers? <laughs> could you imagine that? The Omega and the Alpha where it started and where it began? I mean, LeBron James did say, look, he's putting it out there that whatever happens, happens. But, um... When I'm looking on recruiting sites, I look at, um, um, you know, 24-7 sports, 247sports.com. I like to look at that site for recruiting because they are, um, they're very in-depth analytical. And that's just the site that I prefer. Now, LeBronny James is in the 2023 class. The number one player in that class, you can't make this up. The number one player in that class is... uh, DJ Wagner, Dewan Wagner Jr. Do you know all my NBA fans? You remember Dewan Wagner, right? When LeBron James got drafted to the Cleveland Cavaliers, he was a teammate of LeBron James. So how ironic is it that Dewan Wagner Jr. happens to be the number one player in this class and LeBron James, Bronny James, I should say, in this class as of now, he's ranked 34th. In the class. Now he's going to a high level premier high school basketball team, Sierra Canyon, is Bronny James going to in California. He's a four star player. He's uh, sixth at his position. He's a combo guard and he's the fourth best player in the state. That's not saying that he's not going to the league and he's not going to get drafted. But when you look at a lot of players, when you're 34th, I'm not saying he's not good. He could be good. He could develop. And look, he could have a growth spurt. He could maybe... There are a lot of players, you know, when you look at Steph Curry, he he had no stars. He was a no-star player with Steph Curry. And Bronny is a four-star. So I'm not saying that, you know, Bronny can't develop. What I'm saying is the immense pressure that's going to be put on him to be as good if not better than your dad. And it's not me saying that. It's not LeBron saying that. Bronny might feel that. But the 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 the, the public is gonna feel like your dad was this. Why aren't you as good as your dad? And you could say no they're not. Whenever there's a child in the NBA and they have a lot of hype, 
they always get compared to their father. There are a couple guys in the NBA that couldn't live up to that hype. But with, with Bronny James, we'll see what's going to happen. Now, um, if it does happen, I think it'll be great. But <clears throat> the amount of pressure and the ability to just not develop at your own pace, your own speed, your own way. Um, if you're if you're Bronny James, like, let's keep it real, man. Let's say you're in California. Let's say you're in Miami. You you on you you know let's say hypothetically um Brawny doesn't play for the Heat and you play in Miami Orlando right and you're gonna be out there for like maybe three four days. Brawny wants to go out to the club. Is he really gonna want to go out with his dad? Let's say he wants to go to a, a male adult establishment. <clears throat> Is he gonna really want to go with his dad? I know his dad might not want to go, but. His dad's going, no, how awkward is that going to feel? Or how's the team going to feel like, yo, we want you to come with us to the club, but, like, is your dad coming? Like, stuff like that, you know? I mean, sometimes you can protect your kid to a certain point. There comes a point where you got to hope everything that you taught them, that you instilled in them, and the principles that they have, are going to be what they use when the challenges arise in their life. But you got to let them live their life. And when they mess up, like I did, and every other kid or and parent that was a kid, everybody messes up. And your parents are there to support you and say, I got you. But sometimes some lessons hit different. They hit harder when you make the mistake as opposed to somebody telling you, don't do that. Because I know for me, I learn by doing. I'm a creature of repetition. So if I do something and I, oh, I remember what happened last time I did that. I'm not doing that. As opposed to somebody saying, don't do that because this could happen. Can it? Let's see. I'm just saying. Just my opinion. You know how I do. It's just my opinion. In terms of my thoughts on should LeBron James play with his son? Because I think he's already putting enough pressure. I mean, the kid's already named LeBron James Jr., right? And now you're going to say, I want to play with him. I mean, does he have his own identity? Does he have his own life? He's always going to be attached to, I don't know. That's just me. Now, um, I'm a, one last thing I wanted to talk about was I got a question posed to me. And it was um, in the financial sector here. It was what makes stocks attractive. For short, everybody wants to do it. But what does it take to make someone interested in their own portfolio or even have some clout about investing? Now, I'm not a guru. I'm new into this game of investing. Like I tell you guys, I listen to Wall Street Trapper on YouTube. I listen to Earn Your Leisure, EYL on um, YouTube. Those are the videos that I listen to um, on a weekly, if not daily basis, just to get informed. Um, to answer these questions, when it comes to investing, right? What makes stocks attractive is that you can make it, there's um you have to do find a calculator i'm sure this is some homework for everybody there is a compound interest calculator that you could google what makes stocks so attractive 
is that you can invest in a piece of stock, right? Take, for example, you invest in a stock um, VOO, Vanguard S&P 500 ETF, an exchange trade fund, right? What's um, an exchange trade fund? Basically, it's like saying you walk into um, a grocery store and in, instead of having an index fund where index fund is pretty much the best products in the entire store and you're buying up the whole store, pretty much you're buying with an ETF all the chips. So you go to the chips aisle and the top 10 chips in that aisle, you just purchased all of that. So you're buying like the Doritos, the Lay's, the Tostitos, the pretzels, all of that. You buy all of that with this piece of stock, right? So you get a, a VOO. That stock is worth today $396.34 for one piece of stock. Whoa, Greg, that's a lot of money. Well, think about it like this. If you buy that piece of stock and this stock goes up 10% per year, right? which is what it says it does, although the economy is doing bad now. Do you know that in 20 years, that stock would be worth over $30,000? If you don't even put any more money, you just let it sit. That one piece of stock over 20 years, $400 investment with compound interest is $30,000. $30,000 isn't a lot of money, I know. But what if you purchase a couple more pieces of stock? So now... You have two or three or four or five, and you're compounding interest with that. To me, that's what makes stocks so attractive. Because let me tell you something, Social Security, and I don't know how much money you put in your 401k, I want to have as many streams of income and money possible so that when I'm retired, I'm working because I want to. I'm working because it's an activity for me to do for the day. I'm not working because I need to. That's what makes stocks so attractive to me, the compound interest factor. And, um, you know, I know everybody's interested in doing their own polio, polio portfolio. I think, to me, I'm doing it with baby steps. I've been listening to these guys, and they start off by saying, purchase what you buy. Don't sit there and act like you're going to buy stocks and become a millionaire overnight. Purchase what you buy. If you buy, if you, if you like Adidas, buy Adidas. Look at your grocery, look in your, your refrigerator right now. What type of juice are you buying? What type of meat are you buying? What type of snacks are you buying? Invest in those companies. Because now when you purchase Doritos and you invest in Doritos, then you're sitting there, you, you won't feel bad that you're eating Doritos. You'll be saying, I'm actually putting money into a product that I'm a part owner in. I mean, it's a small percent, but you are a part owner of the company, right? Or your car. Let's say you own a Honda Accord. Honda has stock. So why not buy a Honda Accord piece of stock? So you can sit there and say, I own a piece of this car literally and figuratively, you know? And then from there, you could build on a portfolio, understand what's going to grow, what's not going to grow, and what is your goal? Is your goal just to make money short-term, long-term? Do you just want to trade, or do you just want to uh, put options out? Those are things where that's where you need to do a little bit of research. Where you know, I know people, they sit there and make trades, and you make like 15000 a day. I'm not there yet. 
I'm at the point where I'm just going to slap some money down on the table, let it sit, and let it marinate. And hopefully down the road, it gives me something 20, 30 years down the road. And I know people say, what's the guarantee that you're not going to be, that you're going to be here 20, 30 years down the road? That's cool. Because for my loved ones, they will have a foundation and they will have a, 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 um, a little bit of education knowing, hey, look at what dad did 20, 30 years ago and look at where it is now. So maybe if I start now, where will my money be down the road? Maybe I can sit there and, and create change within my family, my bloodline, where people more so start thinking about money in terms of creating, uh, a, a, um, how should I say, creating a culture in which there is something left and not whatever you have. You planned it out early to where you could leave something of substance for your kids financially as well as educationally. I don't know if educationally is a word, but I hope I answered the question. Now, to end this episode, like I do with all of them, I'm going to give you some, um, how should I say, some, this, is, this isn't this is a positive quote. I'm thinking, you know, I might switch it up here and there. When I see something I like, I'm just going to say it. For all of you out there that need some relationship advice, fellas, you want to know why she bugging ladies, you going to say, preach on, this is what it is. A relationship without trust is like a phone without service. And what do you do with a phone without service? You play games. Let's listen to that again. A relationship without trust is like a phone without service. And what do you do with the phone without service? You play games. Think about that. Bye-bye, everybody.